Morning. It's good. It's nice to have a bit of interaction. It's all good. Um, I wonder how many people in here can remember what you wanted to be when you grow up. Can anyone remember what you wanted to be when you grow up? For how many people are actually doing the job that they wanted to be when they grew up? Is anybody? We've got two people, three people. Maybe if it's four people. That is impressive. Because actually, the vast majority of us, and I am speaking purely on the basis of the research that I've done with you just here and now, <laughs> the vast majority of us aren't doing the thing that we thought we were going to do when we grew up. So at various points in your childhood, you will probably have wanted to be different things. I know I wanted to be Batman for quite a while. Didn't realize that it wasn't an achievable goal at the age of six until somebody sat down and explained the economics and the fact that I wasn't a self-made billionaire um, and living in an entirely fictional world. But there were various different things you wanted to be. I wanted to be a doctor at some point, and that was a genuine, serious thing that I thought about um, and decided against. I, I wanted to be a vet. I wanted to be a marine biologist for a little bit, mainly because I liked the idea of scuba diving. Um, and then I looked into it and realized that all the courses that I could do in this country would involve scuba diving in this country, um, rather than on the Great Barrier Reef, which is what I'd, I'd pictured in my head, so decided, decided against. At, at a certain point, I can't remember exactly what age this is, but I'm fairly convinced I wanted to be a super ninja, mega, zookeeper, doctor, firefighting mechanic, or something along those lines. Um, and my son, Nathaniel, who's three, still wants to be something along that sort of the spectrum. He doesn't see a reason why you can't just amalgamate all these roles into one. Um, and essentially become Fireman Sam, because Fireman Sam does everything. <laughs> if you haven't got experience of Fireman Sam, he literally does everything. He's the person that you, you call. The one thing that I never expected to be when I grew up was my dad. <laughs> and yet, the older I get, the more I'm finding that I'm, I'm essentially turning into my dad. Um, I had this experience the, the other day where... Um, I remembered a situation when I was about 15. We did a lot of camping holidays when I was a kid. We do a lot of camping holidays now. The similarities are kind of fairly stark. My dad had four kids. I have four kids. Um, and it's, it, it doesn't end there. But I remember a camping holiday when I was about 15. And we, it was the last day of the holiday. And it was quite late. We'd packed up quite late for some reason. It was dark. And we were about to get in the car and, and go home. Um, and it was me and my mum standing outside the car. And dad had just disappeared. No idea where he was. And I remember saying to my mum, where's that? And she said, it's all right. You'll hear him in a minute. And I just heard from across the other side of the field, out of the darkness, come this, <laughs> just whistling. She said, yeah, that, that'll be him. The other day, I found myself wandering around the house, whistling pretty much exactly the same tune <laughs> as far as I can ascertain. Or certainly it was something that was off the top of my head. And you know you have those moments where you just catch yourself and just go... Oh, I've become my dad. And there's nothing against my dad. My dad was a brilliant dad and is a brilliant dad. But it's not what we expect to be when we grow up, necessarily. Sometimes there's a disconnect between what you expect to happen and what you actually turn into. And the context for what I want to talk about this morning is kind of framed in, in one verse. Or actually, I, I tell like three verses, three verses. Um, which is 1 John 3, 1 to 2. It's not even three verses, it's two verses. Bear with me. Right, 1 John 3, 1 to 2 says this. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. 
The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. Now, we are God's children. But for most of us, in fact, all of us, because our lives are not over yet, from our perspective, it is not yet apparent what we will become. In other words, we don't know what life is going to turn out like until it's happened or is happening. And so this morning, it's Father's Day. I'm not going to talk about how to be a father, simply because there are only a certain number of the people in this room who are qualified in that department. Again, just purely based on the research that we've done now. But I want to talk about how to be a child, because what we all have in common is we have had a father at some point. Some of us knew them, some of us didn't. That's okay. But we've all had a father at some point. Some of us are fathers. But regardless of what our natural experience has been, we all need to learn how to be a child of God and how that outworks in day-to-day life. Because for most of us, we may have gone through a significant period of our lives not realizing that that's who we are. But when you know that you're a child of God... It needs to change the way that you approach life, or at least if you want to get the most out of life, if you want to discover what you will become, it needs to change the way you approach life. So I'm going to talk about how to be a child, and I'm going to do that by looking at three questions which dads all around the world will be fully familiar with, okay? Um, First question is, what do you need? I had a recurring conversation with my dad when I was a teenager, which essentially started along the lines of, Dad, what do you need? Dad, what do you want? What do you mean, what do I want? Does a, does a son need any excuse to spend time with his father? If we, we haven't spent a huge amount of time together recently. I just wanted to spend time in, in kind of sitting with you and talking with you and, and spending time with you. But since you mention it, can I have 20 quid? When my kids grow old enough to emotionally manipulate a situation, I will just hear my dad laughing in the background. Um, that's, that's the way it is. Um, but we often go through life as children asking or making it clear what we want. Sometimes we need to be asked. A lot of the time when we're young kids, we don't need to be asked at all. My kids um, are 10, 6, 3, and 2. Um, and they don't need to be asked what they want. They will tell me what they want. And what's interesting about my kids is that because there's four of them, when, they ask, when one of them asks me for something, it's not really one of them asking. And I know that full well. I know that in reality, one of them asks for a biscuit. I'm not being asked, can I dish out one biscuit? I'm being asked, can I dish out four biscuits? So you get a standard kind of conversation of, Dad, can I have a biscuit? Yes. Two seconds later, when he's walked into the other room and shown that he has a biscuit, can I have a biscuit? Yeah, okay. Yeah, there you go. I want a biscuit. Okay, that's fine. Mimi biscuit. Which is the general what Jaira has this ongoing thing of Mimi, Mimi wheat, which is sweets. Mimi biscuit. Everything is just Mimi, just because that's her, that's the way of doing it. Yes, she knows I'm talking about her, it's okay. I did ask her permission beforehand. I'm not sure she fully understood. Um, but there we go. It's all in the disclaimer, which she has signed. Has she signed? She might have done. Um, But generally, 
as people, and certainly as children, we don't have a problem asking for what we want. Actually, when we talk to God, a lot of the time, we don't have a problem asking for what we want. We tend to provide a, a list or, you know, God, I, I really, I, or what you need. So that it tends to fall into three categories. It's either wants, needs, or help. Wants are pretty much, what do you want to get? What do you, what do you actually want? And some, often we don't have a problem asking God that question. Interestingly, there is a biblical precedent for God asking us or asking somebody, what do you want? 1 Kings 3 to 5, or 3 verse 5, um, has this story, and it tells the story of Solomon. Solomon has only just become king. And he is the son of David. So David, King David, you may have heard of. He's the guy with the kind of David and Goliath type thing. And then he spent a long time being a king and was generally a good king. Solomon becomes king after him. And there's this story which goes that Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. What I find fascinating about these is that a lot of the time, you've got to think logically. When God asks a question, he already knows the answer which seems a bit weird. Why would God ask a question that he already knows the answer to? Have we got any teachers in the room? How many times do you ask students questions that you already know the answers to? But if you don't ask them, they won't learn anything, right? So sometimes I think God asks us questions that he already knows the answers to, but he wants to make a point by making us think about it. So ask for whatever you want me to give you. It goes on. Solomon replies, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king and your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. He'd asked for wisdom discernment, how to govern, because he recognized what he needed in that, in that moment in time and asked God for it. God already knew that was what he needed, but he wanted Solomon to recognize the need. Sometimes I think God wants us to look at our situation and try and identify actually what is it that we need and then ask for it. As a father asking a child, what do you need? I already know but I want you to think about it. What do you need? You know, when we grow up as a child, we want what we can see. And it's very much a magpie kind of, oh, look, something shiny. That's what I want. As we grow up, we often realize that there is not always, but we often realize that there's a distinction between what we want and what we need. You know, I may want to buy a PlayStation 4 for Christmas. In reality, I need to pay my rent. Or, do you know, there's, there's that distinction. Not everybody has that balance quite right, which is why we end up with credit card debt. But there is that distinction between what we want and what we need. Sometimes it's not always as conscious as that. For those of you who are parents of young kids, I've got quite young kids, um, you may have had an experience where you've walked into a room with your children in it, and you've gone... <laughs> There's something not right in this room. And you notice that your daughter, in this scenario, is kind of doing this. And then she turns and looks at you and just goes, 
Daddy. <sighs> she knows something is not right. She doesn't know what it is. She doesn't necessarily know what she expects you to do about it, but she knows that she's uncomfortable. And something needs to change. She doesn't like the experience of changing because I then pick her up, take her upstairs, change her, and she cries all the way through and then come back downstairs, and then suddenly everything's fine. But there's something not right. Something is uncomfortable and needs changing. Can't put a finger on it. But the father knows. Nothing really changes when we grow up sometimes, does it? There are things sometimes in our life, there is something that is uncomfortable, something that's difficult, something that is just not, not right. When you're going through your day-to-day -day life, it's like you're just always a bit tired all the time or a bit down or, or you're just generally irritable with the world at large or you don't like talking to people. Now, that's not about the introvert-extrovert thing. That's just, you know, every time somebody talks, you just want to do something. It's uncomfortable. It's not right. You can't quite put your finger on it, but it needs sorting. But interestingly, we don't often like the changing process. We want to be different. We want to have been changed. We want to change what our life is like, but don't necessarily want to go through the changing process. But God the Father is there essentially saying, what do you need? And sometimes the answer to that is, I don't know. But I need something. The good news is, God knows what we need. Matthew 6, 7 to 8 says, When you pray, there's no need to repeat empty phrases, praying like those who don't know God, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. In other words, don't try and articulate it necessarily. You don't need to put everything into words, into context. God knows what you're trying to say. There's no need to imitate them since your father already knows what you need before you ask him. It is okay to not know what you need. But it's also okay to recognize actually something's not right. I need something. The prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, which is what this verse goes into, is the Lord's Prayer on earth as it is in heaven, is essentially, God, can you just do what you want to do, what you need to do for this situation here now on earth so that I can live as it is in heaven? That question of what do you need, it's okay to not know the answer, but God wants to give you the answer even though you don't know what it is. So there's, there's wants there's needs. There's also help. Now that is something that parents will know. You will know the difference between your child's cries. I know the difference between my child's cry when they've fallen over and essentially just wants a little bit of kind of, oh, there, there, you're all right. And when they're crying because there is genuinely something wrong. You can tell the difference. And sometimes... It, the, only, the only way that, as an observer, you would notice the difference is you hear a child crying in the garden, and parents just like, right, let's carry on washing up. They'll be all right. Or bolting out the door. And often, it's difficult to distinguish between the two. So I couldn't tell you categorically how I know the difference there, but I do know the difference because I know my child, and I know their voice. 
and you know the difference between a, I'm not happy and a, I need help now. When we go through life, there are things that we want to make life better. There are things that we need because we're not really happy about the way that life is. Sometimes there are genuine emergencies, and God allows for those as well. Psalms has got a few examples of this. Psalm 77 verse 1, I poured out my complaint to you, God. I lifted up my voice, shouting out for your help. Some of you may have been in the situation where you have shouted out for God's help, where you don't know where else to turn, you don't know what else to do. For some of you, that may have been recent. For some of you, that may have been a long time ago, but you will know what that experience is like. Psalm 69, 1 to 3 is, save me, O God, for waters are coming up to my neck. You feel like you're drowning. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out, calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. This morning, some of you might need to hear, if you are asking for help, if you are crying out for help, if you feel like you're drowning and you don't know where else to turn, God hears you this morning. He is looking for you. He is looking to help you. He knows what you want. He knows what you need. He knows when you need help. The difficult bit is that it doesn't always appear in the way that we expect it to but he will help you. He promises to be there for you, that he will never leave you or forsake you. The funny thing about these questions, though, is that as we grow older, sometimes there's a transition in the focus of those questions. So the question of what do you need? As a father asking my child, what do you need? That is very much, I will meet your needs in that moment and in that situation. But as we get older, sometimes the transition and the shift from father asking, what do you need, to child asking, what do you need, happens quite a lot. Um, I think I've said this before, but I am the the, um, Apple customer service team for my in-laws. They will quite routinely phone the house phone. They're the only people who use our house phone. Everybody else phones mobile numbers. But when the house phone rings, it's either a cold call um, or it's um, Rowena or Nigel asking for some sort of Apple customer service advice. Um, They've lost their cloud. (laughs) Or something to that effect. So often those conversations are, what do you need? Actually, I need to try and figure out how this works. And sometimes I can help them, sometimes I can't. But there's a transition. As you get older, you start to ask your parents, if you're in that situation with the relationship, sometimes you ask them what, what they need, and you're able to help them out. Now, God doesn't need our help. But I think there is a level of maturity that we can get to where we can turn to God, and instead of constantly providing a stream of demands, actually saying, God, what do you want? What do you need? What do you want me to do? in this situation? What do you want me to do for this person? What, do you, what have you put me on this earth in this moment, in this time, with these people to do? What do you need? What do you want? Psalm 25 verse 4 says, Lord, direct me throughout my journey so I can experience your plans for my life. Reveal the life paths that are pleasing to you. What do you want for my life? Some of you might be in that position now where you can ask God, what do you need? So that's question number one. Question number two is, are we nearly there yet? 
Now, I think that this question is actually becoming completely defunct. I think it's actually becoming irrelevant in today's day and age. And I'll explain why. Five years ago, give or take, we used to go on long drives. We still go on long drives when we go and visit relatives or we go on holiday at various different points. And you would have this question coming from the back of the car on a regular basis. Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly... Yes, it's cliched, but it does happen. I don't know what, what the deal is, whether kids actually pick it up subconsciously from society or whether it is a genuine concern that they're never going to arrive. Um, but there is that question that, that used to come from the back of the car all the time. And I used to just to gauge expectations, would generally, are we nearly there? Or how long is it? How long is it? How long till we get there? Three and a half years? What? Two minutes. Then they don't know what, what on earth is going. They've got no frame of reference whatsoever. You've just got to adjust those expectations. So anything in the middle is allowed, okay? Because you've got to allow for traffic. Now, the reason that I think is that this is completely irrelevant is because in the front of our car, much like in the front of many of your cars, you will either have a built-in sat-nav or some sort of phone that's kind of anchored on the, on the, the middle of the device. If you, does anyone still use maps? Nobody's, nobody's bold enough to make that decision. Okay. If you were to ask me to read a map and plan out a route, it would probably take me significantly longer than it should do, to be fair. It would take my wife half the amount of time, apparently. Um, but... Maps are becoming a thing of the past because sat-navs sit in the front, you put in your destination and it tells you where to go and it gives you all the directions, that's, that's brilliant. But what it also tells you is how long your journey is expected to take given current traffic conditions and your exact time of arrival. Which means, now, how long till we get there? <laughs> Just read the screen. The problem is, that's actually backfired on me because now... What I will get from the back is a running commentary of 172 miles to go. 171 miles to go. 170. If he does this another 169 times, we're never going to get there because I will have crashed the car into the central reservation. It's just been replaced by something else. But that question of, are we nearly there yet? I honestly think might just be an instinctive thing of kids. Just, they just want to know when they're going to get to where they expect to be. Because they're so looking forward to what they expect to do. And sometimes we're on a, it feels like we're on a journey with God. Sometimes it's because we, we have an idea of where we want to get to. Sometimes it's because actually we've got a crisis here and now and we want it sorted. And it feels like there's a journey between where this moment is and where we want to get to. There's a story in Luke chapter 8 um, which starts like this. It says, when Jesus returned to Galilee, the crowds were overjoyed for they'd been waiting for him to arrive. Just then, a man named Jairus, the leader of the local Jewish congregation, fell before Jesus' feet. He desperately begged him to come and heal his 12-year-old daughter, his only child, because she was at the point of death. Jesus started to go with him to his home to see her, but a large crowd surrounded him. This is a guy on a journey. He's identified a crisis, he's identified a need, and he's gone to Jesus looking for a solution. And he has an idea of what that solution is. That solution is Jesus coming to his home and healing his daughter. And Jesus starts on this journey to that destination. Sometimes between the crisis and the destination, there's a journey. But we're not always in control of how long that journey is. A large crowd surrounded him. In that moment, somebody else comes up to Jesus 
touches him and he stops and heals a woman with bleeding. But from Jairus' perspective, the father, he stopped. He's dealing with somebody else. Somebody else is apparently being healed. His situation is the priority for him. He wants his daughter healed, but God seems to be helping somebody else and not dealing with what he wants him to do. Sometimes life can feel like that. You can be in the middle of a crisis. You can be crying out to God. You can be expecting him to do something. You're on a journey to that destination. And you're almost asking God, God, are we nearly there yet? 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 Because I don't know if I can take this anymore. But you seem to be helping other people because there are other people being blessed. There are other people being healed. There are other people experiencing this stuff and you're not. Are we nearly there yet? While Jesus was still speaking to the woman, someone came from Jairus' house and said to him, there's no need to bother the master anymore further or any further. Your daughter has passed away. She's gone. It got worse. While Jesus was helping somebody else, his situation got worse. Can you imagine that moment? That hopelessness. When Jesus heard this, he said, Jairus, don't yield to your fear. Have faith in me, and she will live again. Our perspective doesn't always echo God's. Sometimes it feels like we're in that place of somebody else is having what I should be having, and God, you're not coming through for me, and actually things are getting worse. Jesus' response is, don't yield to your fear. Have faith in me. The the question of, are we nearly there yet, doesn't always have the answer that you want. From a child in the back of the car, are we nearly there yet? No, we've got another hour and a half to go, is not what they want to hear. And they will vocally let you know. But sometimes in life, it feels like that. Now, we won't read it here and now, but they go on and arrive at the house. And the girl is healed. And that fulfillment, what Jairus envisaged to happen, did happen. It did, the journey wasn't what he expected it to be. But Jesus knows and Jesus cares. Are we nearly there yet? Jesus' response, don't give in to fear, have faith. Matthew 28, 20 says this, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is there. Jesus knows. He is with you always, whether it feels like it or not. Psalm 119, um, verse 176, there's a lot of verses in this psalm, says, I'll never forget what you've taught me, Lord, but when I wander off and lose my way, in other words, when I go where I think you should be going, when I wander off, when I lose my way, come after me, for I am your beloved. God is coming after us. Are we nearly there yet? But there's a transition on this question as well. We often ask God, you know, are we nearly there yet? Are we nearly there yet? Have we got to the point that, you, that, that I want us to go to? Sometimes I think if we stop for a moment, maybe God wants to ask us the question, are we nearly there yet? Because here's a question for you. On your journey, who decides where the destination is? 
Who decides what it looks like when you've arrived? Because many of us have this image in our head of what it's going to look like when we get to where we think God is taking us. But actually, some of the time, that may be right. Some of the time, it may not be. And I wonder whether God would ask us the question, are we nearly there yet? As in, are we nearly at the point where you want to go where I want us to go, not where you want to go? Are we nearly at the point where you're willing to surrender control? Are we nearly at the point where you're willing to admit, you know what, God, you know better than I do? Are we nearly there yet? There's a transition of question, but we have to be able to hear it. Jesus was on a journey to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, about to give his life, about to give everything, about to go through unspeakable suffering and pain. And he has this moment with the Father, where he says, Abba, Father, Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In other words, we're on this journey, but I want to go where you want to go. No matter how long it takes, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how difficult, I'm not saying I'm going to enjoy it. But I want your will to be done, not mine. What do you need this morning? What can you get from God? But also, what does God need from you? Are we nearly there yet? Are you nearly at the point of your destination? But also, are you nearly at the point of giving it to God and letting him have it? Third question, where are you? This is a regular occurrence in my house. I can be somewhere in the house doing something, and I will hear in the background, Daddy! Yes? Where are you? I'm on the toilet. (laughs) Can you just give me two minutes peace? But no. Bang. We need to get locks on our toilet door. Um, (laughs) But there is that where are you question. Sometimes, as kids, you lose sight of your parents. Um, I remember an experience. When I was a child, I was relatively short-sighted. And I think, you know, I must have been about seven or eight. Um, and uh, we'd gone swimming. I'd gone swimming with my dad. We were changing in the changing rooms. And I, I'd taken my glasses off, put them in the locker, gone into the changing room, got changed, come back out. And I remember walking up to this, to, to this figure and saying, right, I'm ready now, looking up and realizing that is not my father. <laughs> and the panic that ensues is unbelievable. And there's that moment of, where are you? And in reality, he was there. I just couldn't see him in that specific moment. Sometimes we lose sight of God. We lose sight of what he's doing in our lives. We lose sight of what he wants to say to us. We lose sight of where he is. Um, and it's, sometimes it can be quite easy. And again, we see it in the Bible. Psalm 77 verse 3 says, As I thought of you, I moaned, God, where are you? I'm overwhelmed with despair as I wait for your help to come. And there's this moment of pause in his presence. Sometimes we have to pause and wait for God's answer. 
But that moment of, God, where are you? Psalm 22, verse 2 says this, Why do you remain distant, refusing to answer my tearful cries in the day and my desperate cries for your help in the night? I can't stop sobbing. Where are you, my God? That is a tantrum from someone who's incredibly articulate. But that's essentially what it is. It's, God, where are you? Where have you gone? Where have you disappeared to? Why are you not here and now where I expected you to be? There are difficult seasons where you feel like God has left. But actually, he hasn't. God hasn't left. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He was there all the time. Where are you? Here. With you. In this moment. Even though it's difficult. I am here with you. And often, the question, and we talk about transition of questions, the question often isn't, where are you, God? It's, where are you, Tim? Or where are you? Where are you? You know, Genesis 3, 8 to 9, quite a famous verse, but Adam and Eve have just committed the first sin. They've just separated themselves from God, and they've just experienced what it is to be ashamed, to be fearful, to feel like they need to hide for the first time. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This morning, where are you? Are you available if God wanted to chat? Or are you struggling with something that actually you wouldn't really want to talk about? God still wants to talk to you. One of my kids went through a period of whenever he did something wrong, he would hide he would just go and find somewhere, even, even if I didn't even know what he'd done. He knew that he'd done something wrong and would just go and hide. He was about five at the time. And he would just go and find somewhere that he knew that I couldn't find him. Just because he didn't want to face up to what he anticipated being the consequence. And actually that question of where are you isn't an angry question. It's a, I just want you to come out. I just want to talk to you. I love you. Let's just sort this out. Because actually it's not as big from God's perspective as you think it is. There is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of God. Where are you? There's also that experience with kids when sometimes you have to send them to their room or you have to send them to sit and think. Um, and the question changes slightly from where are you to why are you here? Let's think about this and work it through. That's in the Bible as well. 1 Kings 19 verse 9 is the story of Elijah. Now Elijah has had this massive mountaintop experience where he's just utterly demonstrated God's power, or rather God's demonstrated his power through Elijah, let's get that right, but, um, and he's just destroyed all of the prophets of Baal, they've all disappeared, and he has this moment where he's realized that he's on his own and everyone wants to kill him. So he essentially goes away and hides, and he goes and finds this cave and sits down and asks God to just let him die, which is a wonderful uplifting thought at this moment in time, but he went into the cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes there is that question of, why are you here? You don't need to be. 
you're choosing to be. And I find that I have this conversation with my kids a lot of the time. It's, why, why are you here? You're here because of something that you've done. You didn't need to choose to do that. You're here because you've chosen to do this. You knew that if you did that, in fact, I told you just before you did it, if you do that, you will end up with a consequence, and you still carried on and chose to do it. So why are you here? Sometimes the choices that we make aren't always the best. But there is always grace. And there is always that moment where God says, why are you here? Not because he doesn't know the answer. He knows the answer. He wants you to think about it. Why are you here? Right. Let's do something about it. What do we do? In all of these situations, John 14, 6 to 7, Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and you have experienced him. God, where are you? You have seen him and you have experienced him. You just may not realize it yet. Are we nearly there yet? Yes. But you may not realize it yet. What do you need? Your Father knows everything that you need before you need it. So the answer to all of these situations, regardless of what circumstance and situation you find yourself in, is this. Come to the Father. When you have needs, when you have wants, when you have desires, come to the Father. He's a good Father. He desires to give good gifts to his children. He wants to give good things to you. But he needs you to come to him. When you need help, come to the Father. He is willing and able to help you in that moment. When you feel like you're in frustration and on a journey and like you're never going to get there, come to the Father. He knows how long it's going to be. He's not likely to tell you. Three and a half years, two minutes, could be anything in between. But he knows, and he knows what it's like to be in that moment. And he wants you to go where he wants to go. Come to the Father. If you're uncomfortable and you don't know what's wrong, but something is, come to the Father. He loves you. He wants to sort it out. He wants you to live a life in all its fullness, not one where you feel uncomfortable and distraught. If you're struggling to see God, come. If you find yourself alone, ashamed, hiding, come to the Father. Where are you? Come to him. Ask and he will give it to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Today's Father's Day. Let it be Father's Day. This is not about earthly fathers. This is about you engaging with your heavenly father in a different way and a new way because he wants to spend time with you. He wants to see you for the first time or for the hundredth time. Come to Jesus. Come to the father. Can I pray with you? Father, I thank you for the people here this morning. God, I thank you that we all have one thing in common. We have you as Father. And I pray that this morning we would know that 
God, that we would know that relationship. And God, you know everything that we need. You know it before we know it ourselves. Father, will you reveal to us what you desire to do in our lives and in our hearts this morning. And God, let this day be Father's Day for all of us, regardless of physical circumstance. Father, we want you this morning. You know, if you um, have never accepted Jesus into your life, Jesus is the way to the Father. And actually, the Bible says, Jesus himself says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. You have to go to Jesus because Jesus holds the keys to eternal life. He holds the keys to releasing you from pain, from sin, from shame, from everything that would cut you off from the Father. So maybe this morning, come to Jesus because he's the way to the Father. If you want to do that and you want to talk to somebody about what that means and you want to just kind of pray a very, very simple prayer, um, then there will be guys over here on the side who want to pray with you afterwards. If you just want to receive from the Father again, then come and be prayed for this morning. Talk to somebody. But don't go this morning without experiencing the love of the Father. It's Father's Day.